This program is brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U at Stanford University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu. So we are ready to start the last session of the day, uh, which is uh, another paper on uh, which involves fermenting behavior or, uh, and uh, is plant survival, market fundamentals, and trade liberalization. It's got four authors, and it's going to be presented by Adriana Kugler. I would like to first thank the organizers of the conference for organizing a wonderful conference and for inviting us to present our work. As as, uh, Orazio pointed out, the paper has four co-authors, Marcela Slava, John Halsey-Wanger, and Maurice Kugler, who was here today, but uh, I was going to defer all the tough questions for him, and I guess he, he left the room. So uh, we're presenting a paper on plant survival, market fundamentals, and trade liberalization. And let me first start by giving you some motivation for our work and why it is interesting to study this issue. As you probably know, aggregate productivity is largely explained by high productivity expanding plants, displacing low productivity contracting plants or businesses. And there is actually widespread evidence for more developed countries of the connection between reallocation and firm dynamics, and and firm dynamics and productivity. Uh, So on the one hand, the reallocation from low towards high productivity continuing plants seems to be important at explaining aggregate productivity. On the other hand, aggregate productivity also seems to be explained by the entry of more productive plants and the exit of less productive plants. But as we know, frictions from institutions and also from market structure may inhibit the ability to reallocate resources from low productivity towards high productivity uses. And this will be much more important in the context of less developed countries. At the same time, we know that this removal of frictions and most notably the removal of trade barriers has been most drastic in the context of less developed and transition economies. So what we do in this paper is to focus focus on one aspect of reallocation. We focus on plant exit, as this is one of the key aspects of the connection between reallocation and productivity. Uh, On the other hand, in this paper, we're looking at the effect that trade opening had on plant survival in Colombia, which, as Penny pointed out before, is a country that undertook a substantial trade liberalization process in the early 1990s. So essentially, we asked two questions here. The first one is, how did plant exit or plant survival, to look at the other side of the coin, was affected by market fundamentals? On the other hand, we asked how trade liberalization affected plant survival, and how trade liberalization also affected the role of market fundamentals on plant survival in Colombia. So you may wonder, why Colombia? Why are we interested in the Colombian case? And there are at least two reasons why we're interested in Colombia. The first one is that Colombia has an excellent um, data uh, at the plant level, which includes plant level information on prices and quantities for output and inputs. And because we have this plant level information on prices, essentially, we're able to do a much better job at estimating productivity shocks than previous studies have done. Essentially, previous studies have estimated productivity by using a measure of output which deflates revenues using a sector-level price index. So 
essentially these previous studies confound differences in productivity with differences in prices within sectors. Here we're able to obtain a through, through differences in productivity which take out the effect of difference in prices within sectors. And because we have these plan level data on quantities and prices, we're also able to decompose productivity from demand shocks and we're able to look at the effect that these market fundamentals had on plant survival. So the first reason is driven by data considerations. The second reason why Colombia is an interesting country to study these, these issues that we discussed is that there was a, a very important trade liberalization process in Colombia in 91. In June 91, basically, tariffs were reduced substantially from an average of about 62% to an average of 26%, and we're talking here about effective tariffs. And at the same time, this wasn't just a reduction on a few products, tariffs on a few products, but it, it involved the reduction of tariffs across the board, so about 90%, 99% of items were moved to a free import regime. On the other hand, it is important to consider in this context that like in the Indian context, this trade reform took place in the context of an overall, overall structural reform package. So there were other reforms going on at the time, so I'm just going to point out what some of these were. There were other reforms in the 1990s. The timing didn't necessarily coincide with the trade liberalization. Um, some of them were actually introduced later in the 1990s, but some of them were a labor market reform, a capital market deregulation, privatizations, and a tax reform which actually took place later around 1997. Um, these last two reforms were actually not very important. The privatizations and the tax reform in Colombia weren't very substantial, but the labor and the capital market reforms were important and they actually took important uh, steps towards deregulating factory markets. So as you will see later, we tried to control for this possibility by adding um, also an index for these other reforms. And I'm just going to show you figure one shows uh, a trade index and an index of other reforms, which basically measures the degree of market orientation, both in terms of trade and in terms of some of these other aspects that I discussed, including privatizations, including tax reform, and labor and capital market regulation. And as you can see here, and as Penny pointed out before, there was uh, an increase in the 1980s, but the largest increase took place in 91, the largest increase in terms of market orientation of, these reform, of the trade reforms. So the, the, the dash line is uh, the index for the trade reform, and as you can see in 91, there's a huge increase which captures both the fact that tariffs were reduced and the dispersion of tariffs were also reduced. On the other hand, you also see that there is an increase in the degree of market orientation in terms of tax, taxes, in terms of labor and capital market reforms, but the increase was much slower and it took place later in the 1990s. So as I said before, we're going to try to control for that as well in the analysis. So trade reforms were probably the most drastic out of all the reforms in terms of increasing competition in the economy. And on the one hand, you may think that by increasing competition, 
Trade liberalization is likely to have forced previously protected and competitive firms out of the market. So we're interested in looking at the effect of these trade reforms on plant uh, survival. And that our conjecture is that trade liberalization or the reduction in tariffs should have led to an increase in exit. On the other hand, you may expect that trade opening by increasing competition, again, should have increased the importance of market fundamentals in terms of firm performance and also plant survival. Let me now give you an outline for the rest of the talk. First, I will talk about the data and some measurement issues about how we measure various things that we need to estimate our exit probability. So I will talk about the measurement of productivity, demand shocks, and also elasticities, which are meant to capture markups and the degree of market power of different plants. And then I will present the results that we have on exit probabilities, which show the effects of fundamentals and also trade opening on, on plant survival. So the data set is uh, the annual manufacturing survey, which has yearly data from the year 1982 through 98. And this is an unbalanced panel of about 13,000 plants, which has information on revenue, information on prices of products manufactured by each plant. It has information on the total material expenditures of each plant, as well as on the prices of each of the materials produced, used to produce by each plant. And it has information on energy usage, energy prices, and book values of capital. So let me talk about the construction of the key variables we need here in order to obtain our measures of market fundamentals, that is productivity shocks, demand shocks, and also uh, some, our measure of elasticity through the markup. In terms of prices, we construct uh, Tornquist price indices for output and materials, where this Tornquist price index is essentially the weighted average of the growth in prices and where the weights are given by the share of, of each product in total output and the share of each material in total material expenditures. And here we're using to construct then the indices, 1982 as the, as the base year. Then we use these prices on output and materials to construct the quantities of output and the quantities of materials. So we essentially divide revenue by these output price index, and we divide total material expenditures by the index for, for materials. To construct the capital stock, we use a perpetual inventory method, where essentially the current um, capital stock is equal to the depreciated capital stock from the previous period, plus gross investment, and where we're deflating um, gross investment using a deflator for gross capital formation, which comes from the input-output matrix. Our data set does not include information on hours, so we construct a measure of hours. And since we have earnings in our data set, we can obtain hours by dividing earnings by wages. So we obtain here the information on wages from the monthly manufacturing survey where we can obtain this information on wages at the three-digit level. So we have wages at the three-digit level. So using essentially all this information on prices and quantities of inputs and outputs, we can now move on to estimate productivity and demand shocks. 
Um, but let me first, before even pointing out how we construct these other variables, our market fundamentals, let me give you some descriptive statistics which, which are interested in and of their own right. Um, the entry rate, for example, decreased in, after the trade reform and other reforms were introduced, while the exit rate, which is our key variable of interest here, the exit probability, um, actually increased after trade was, in, was uh, liberalized. So that's, that's an interesting thing to point out, and it, it, it's something that will show up later after we control for other things. Uh, output increased, the use of inputs also increased during the post-reform periods with the exception of labor, and output and material prices decreased during the post-reform period. So this just gives you some idea of how things were changing during the post-reform period. Let me now talk about the construction of productivity shocks and demand shocks. Productivity shocks are measured as the residual from a claim production function, that is capital, labor, energy, and materials, where alpha, beta, gamma, and phi in this context are de facto elasticities, and where V here, VJT, is a productivity shock. We estimate this in log, so this is how we will obtain TFP. This is the residual from that specification. Now, since the productivity shock is likely to be correlated with input use, uh, we worry that, that our factor elasticities will be biased if we simply use OLS. So what we do here is to use instruments for the different inputs, and as instruments we use downstream demand, regional government expenditures, and energy and material prices. Table 2 presents the results from this uh, production function, both the OLS and the IV specification. And here, if you compare the two columns, you can see that the OLS specification yields uh, factor elasticities for capital and energy, which are downwardly biased, while the factor elasticities for labor and materials tend to be upwardly biased. So this would suggest that in Colombia during this time period, the productivity shocks, basically changes in technology, tended to be energy saving and labor intensive. The third column simply reports the, the first stage R-squares, and the idea here is that basically we, we are likely to get uh, um, unbiased estimates when we use an IV because we don't suffer much from a weak instrument problem here. Table 3 reports uh, this TFP measure constructed in this way using the IV specification, and you can see here that's reported in the first row, so that's our T TFP measure constructed using this residual methodology where we use the factor elasticities obtained using instrumental variables. And here you can see that this TFP measure is negatively correlated with relative prices at the plant level. So what this is telling us is that higher productivity plants are characterized by their ability to charge lower prices and this is an interesting result. Now, to show you the importance of using the right um, deflator, in our case, having access to plant-level prices as opposed to sector-level prices, we also report in this table TFP measures constructed instead using a measure of output and materials where we deflate these using sector-level deflators. And these are the ones reported in row two, three, and four. So here, we can see that when we don't use the right deflator, 
essentially its negative correlation between productivity and prices disappears. So once again, this is just pointing out that having access to these uh, higher quality data um, basically allows us to, to estimate measures of productivity which are much better than those using in other studies. We then proceed to estimate demand shocks. And demand shocks here are estimated as the residual from a demand function, uh, where D here is going to be the demand shock, and epsilon is the elasticity of demand. So here, if we estimate in logs, once again, we're going to obtain this demand shock in this way. As before, we may worry about bias estimates of the elasticity in this context, because we may expect the demand shock to be positively correlated both with prices and output. And in order to solve this problem, what we do is to use TFP as an instrument for prices, which by construction is going to be negative. So that's, that's our approach in order to avoid our elasticity to be biased towards zero. We will also estimate here, which is not in the paper, but these are some new results, we estimate a demand equation where we allow for the demand and the elasticity to depend on access to markets. So we will include a direct effect of road density and the road density interacted with the relative price in order to see uh, if access to markets matter in terms of demand. And we do this mainly in order to obtain also measures of elasticity which, which will vary in our case by region and time. Table four includes these um, estimates. As I mentioned before, the LS estimate is biased downwards if we compare to the IV estimate, where we use TFP to instrument prices. And in the third column, we report the, the IV estimate, where we also allow the demand to depend and output to depend on access to markets. So where we include the direct effect of road density and the interaction of road density with relative prices. And what you can see here, is what you may expect. It basically tells us that access to markets increases output, increases demand. And also, this interaction term tells us that access to markets increases the responsiveness of output to changes in prices. So elasticity increases as there is more access to markets. That generates more competition. So what we do is basically to use the results from this third column in order to estimate both the demand shocks, but, in also, but also to estimate the measures of an elasticity um, of demand for each plant, which will vary at the regional uh, level as well as uh, in terms of time. So um, the idea of including this elasticity later in our exit probability estimation is that the elasticity, in this case being negative, a higher elasticity, will be correlated with the markup and will be correlated with market power. And we're interested in seeing if greater market power, for example, will affect plant survival. Now, I turn to exit probabilities here. Plants will exit, as we know, if the discounted value of profits falls below a fixed cost, and they will remain in the market otherwise. But we also know that profits are a positive function of demand shocks, of productivity shocks, and they should also be a positive function of, of the markup or market power. 
On the other hand, there will be a decreasing function of input prices such as energy and material prices. So what we do here is to estimate a reduced form equation where the probability of exiting, so the dependent variable takes the value of one or zero, one if the firm exits in period T, zero if the firm stays, remains in the market, uh, we allow for the probability of exit to depend on lag productivity, lag demand shocks, and also on input prices, material and energy prices. And in turn, to depend on what I just mentioned before, this elasticity, which will vary by region and time. So with the interest of trying to see if uh, market power also affects plant survival. Table five presents descriptive statistics of these determinants of survival. And what we see here is that the economy became much more turbulent during the post-reform period after trade and other reforms were introduced. Uh, and this is basically seen if you simply compare not only the means but also the standard deviations of productivity and demand shocks. So economy becomes much more turbulent. The other thing to note here is that this measure of uh, the elasticity using road density shows that the, the elasticity of demand increased in, in absolute value after the reforms were introduced, indicating once again or suggesting that there was more competition in the environment. And we can also see from here that tariffs, sorry, tariffs decreased substantially after trade liberalization in 1991 was introduced, but also this is, we can see that this reform index that we presented before, which looks at the effects of other reforms, also increased after the, the 1990 period. Table six shows the results from simply looking at this effect of market fundamentals on plant exit. And column one just introduces productivity and the effect of energy and material prices. And you can see here what one would expect, which is that higher productivity decreases the probability of exit, while higher energy and material prices increase the probability of exit. Then we attempt to control for prices. As we noted before, productivity and prices are negatively correlated, so there's going to be automated variable bias if we don't include those. And you can actually see that the coefficient of productivity increases when we control for output prices. Then in column three, we try to disentangle the effect of shifts in the demand curve from movements along the demand curve, which drive changes in prices. So we include instead as a control this demand shock. And we can see here that higher productivity, higher demand at the plant level also reduce the probability of exit. While again, uh, we, we keep finding this effect that energy and material prices increase the probability of exit. And finally, in column four, we also include the elasticity, which, as I mentioned before, is negative. So a higher elasticity implies a higher markup or higher market power. And here, this suggests that basically higher market power reduces the probability of exit, which is as we would expect. So in terms of magnitudes, we find that an increase of one standard deviation in productivity reduces the probability of exit by 1.5%, 1 
an increase in the standard deviation of energy and material prices increases the probability of exit by about 2% and 3.5%, while an increase in demand um, in, of one standard deviation increase, decreases the probability of exit by 4.2%, and an increase in the elasticity decreases the probability of exit by around half a percentage point. Now, to appreciate the magnitude of these effects, let me just point out that from Table 1, we saw that exit rates were about 8% in the pre-reform period and about 11% in the post-reform period. So some of these effects are really substantial. And why do we think that some of these effects are larger than others? Well, we think that, for example, some of these shocks may be more persistent than others, and so the plant may respond more by exiting than if the shock was less persistent. So Table 7 shows the persistence of these shocks, and it is true that, for example, TFP and energy prices are less persistent than some of the other shocks, which may explain why the effect of productivity and energy prices was smaller than the effect of some of the other market fundamentals that we presented. Now, we are really interested here in seeing the fact that trade reforms and other reforms had on plant survival. So to do that, we essentially estimate a similar equation to a similar profit to what we had before, but we include a measure of effective tariffs, which varies by sector and time, and we include this other reform index that I mentioned before, which varies by time. We're not able, there's some time variation in terms of the other reform, there isn't sectoral variation in terms of the other reforms, so we only have time variation in terms of these other reform index. So we may, we may expect, as I said before, that if tariffs are reduced, there is increased competition in the economy, and previously protected and productive firms may be forced to exit the market. So that's, that's the reason for including this here. But in addition, we may expect that a reduction in tariffs may also affect um, the effect that other market fundamentals have on plant survival. So here we include interaction effects as well of our tariff measure with some of the other variables we included before. And because the timing of the trade reform coincided with the timing of some of the other reforms that were going on at the time in Colombia, we certainly want to control as well for some of these other reforms. So we include a direct effect of these other reform index as well as interaction effects of the other reform index with the market fundamentals. Table A shows results from these specifications. And essentially, in column one, we, we see the results without including controls for the other reforms. And in column two, we see the results including controls for the other reforms, as well as interactions of this other reform index with the market fundamentals. What you can see from here, and our preferred specification is the one that controls for other reforms, what you can see here is that an increase in effective tariffs reduces the probability of exit, which is not that surprising, right? Firms are more protected. And when, when we look at the effect, we find essentially that uh, an increase in one standard deviation in effective tariffs reduces the probability of exit by around 2%. So again, this is a non-trivial effect that we're finding here. 
Um, also very interesting is to find out how tariffs and how protection or the, the trade opening, if you look at it in the other way, affected the effect that market fundamentals have on plant exit. And here you can see that an increase in tariffs decreases the importance of productivity and demand shocks. Or seen the other way, right? Seen the other way, trade opening increases the importance of these market fundamentals of demand and productivity shocks. Similarly, we find that decreasing tariffs also increases the importance of the price of energy and price and materials in terms of determining exit. So market fundamentals would seems to matter for for firm performance seems to increase the, the importance of these factors seems to increase after trade is opened up and there is more competition in the economy. On the other hand, it is also interesting to point out that the effect of the markups, the measure of market power decreases if there is a trade opening, that is if tariffs fall. So it goes exactly in the opposite direction. When trade is opened up, then market power, the importance of market power decreases in terms of determining plant survival. Uh, we also find some interesting effects in terms of the other reforms, which I don't report here. But um, just let me point them out pretty quickly. We find that energy and material prices become less important um, as the other reform index increases. And this is likely to be the case because, as I said, much of what happened with this other reform index was driven by the deregulation of factor markets. So if factor markets are deregulated and you're able to adjust labor and capital more easily, then the prices of energy and materials should, should matter less now than they did before. So that's an interesting result. So let me just conclude. We have looked at the fact of market fundamentals and trade liberalization in determining plant survival. We do find that there is a substantial effect of cost shocks, productivity and demand shocks, as well as market power in terms of determining plant survival. We also find that trade liberalization matter in terms of increasing, increasing in plant exit. Uh, and we find that trade liberalization also increased the importance of productivity, demand, and input prices. It probably forced previously protected firms to respond more uh, to these market fundamentals. And at the same time, we find that market power becomes much less important after trade is opened up. So Thank you, Adriana. So the discussion for this paper is going to be Nersiofilo. Okay. Um, first of all, I'd like to thank the organizers for inviting me to this conference, especially Horacio. And uh, um, I would uh, comment on, uh, on this paper. It's a very nice paper, a very nice uh, subject. The main... Um, Motivation is to investigate determinants of uh, entry and exit and its contribution to productivity dynamic uh, in the context of a developing country, in this case, Colombia. And uh, it's a very important theme, a subject, because uh, there are not many studies on this issue in developing countries. I think this, it's a, on my view, it's a better motivation than um, sometimes um, you stress in the paper that but uh, maybe product market frictions are more important in developing countries than developed countries. I think 
it matters in both kind of countries. But the fact that there is very little study on, on these productivity dynamics in developing countries is a very nice motivation, and it's a very important theme. Um, so, just um, going straight to the data, I'll talk about the, the, the results later on. It's a very, very good data set. Um, and as you rightly emphasized, it has input and output prices at the plant level. So you can construct plant-specific price deflators and avoid the usual problems associated with uh, deflating production with uh, industry prices. This is very nice and uh, it's a good plus of the paper. Uh, on the other hand, and there are some limitations, I think. Uh, as I understood, the data set uh, only includes firms with more than 10 employees. Is that right? So, at least in Brazil, the share of small firms is really big, and it's important in uh, job creation and destruction in the Brazilian case. So I wonder whether this share of, of very small firms is important as well in Colombia. Because uh, uh, as you work with only these firms, with the uh, bigger firms, there's a selection issue. And, um, and when firms contract, you know, from... I don't know, 15 to 9 or 15 to 7, small contractions or expansions, you would assume that's exit and uh, an entry in the market. When in fact they're still there, it's just that they reduced even more the size. I don't know whether this effect is important or not, but I think um, if you had uh, auxiliary tables showing the proportion of um, employment that's generated by these very small firms, that will help interpret the results. Um, the other thing I noticed is that there is no information on hours work at plant level. So you, you construct total earnings at plant level, but deflate it using wages at the sector level, as I understood it. So, so it generates the kind of problem that you avoid in the, um, using the plant-specific price deflators. Because I thought that if other firms in the sector increase wages, for example, this will uh, reduce your computation of hours, and, and even if nothing happens at the specific plant, and this will increase the, the measure of TFP, and just because uh, effect that has nothing to do with the specific plant. So uh, I think, I don't know whether you've got anything to do, but it would be nice just to see the limitations, because you, you talk so much about the good things of having price deflators, but you don't talk a lot about uh, the fact that you don't have uh, hours at the plant level. So I think this, is, this would be important. Um, but for the, and also there was um, a, a very complicated methodology linking the plants over time. It's not described in detail in this paper, but it is in the companion paper you've got published in the GD. So I took a look at it. And uh, it's very complicated, but I trust that everything is, is, is done uh, very nicely. So. But it would be nice to put all this in this paper so that it's self-contained paper. People don't have to, to look in the other paper to, to see all the details of the construction of data. Um, and the productivity shocks, uh, the description of uh, TFP is also described in more detail in the other paper. And, uh, and the identification strategy is more or less standard. You use uh, downstream demand. To, it's the paper by Xi. Um, by Xi, yeah. yeah. I think it's nice. But I think you could use GMM and do some over-identification tests uh, because you have lots of instruments. Um, 
So we, it would, would just confirm a little bit, the, uh, reassure the reader about the, the, the identification strategy. I think uh, you could do that. When you compare different uh, TFP measures constructed using your deflator and uh, as compared to the industry level traditional deflators, you say that they are different and it's true, but the correlation is pretty high, you know, 0.7 and, um, between the two measures. And I would like to see whether it would make any difference in the main results, in the regressions, when you use your TFP measure, which is the right one, as opposed to the industry-specific deflator measure in the actual regressions, so that people from other countries that don't have this information would know whether they are uh, incurring a big mistake by using these this deflators. So I think that would be nice as well. On the demand estimation, then uh, I had the previous version of the paper, so I didn't have this time-varying elasticities um, thing, which I think is nice. Uh, but to start with, I think, this, I think this, this part of the estimation is a bit more complicated than the TFP one. Because, first of all, you, it's a, you're estimating a demand equation, but you actually use production data. So it would be nice to have you know, consumer demand to get the elasticities. But I know this is very difficult, very hard to, to tell. And then you use the TFPS instruments. So in order to be good instruments, they should not affect production on to, indirectly on top of their effect on prices. So um, this is um, the definition of a good instrument. But TFP is constructed using um, production. So it's the residual of, of, of production, isn't it? Production minus the, the inputs times the coefficients. So I wonder if there are any shocks to TFP, non-observed shocks that are not in the inputs, whether they will carry to production um, and will you know, invalidate the use of instruments. Um, I would like just to see your reaction to that. Um, I was thinking in terms of changing demand elasticities, because in the, in the previous version, there was only one elasticity that did not vary over time. So um, if, the, if there are changes in demand elasticities of, uh, uh, over time that vary differently across the different sectors, that would provoke changes in, in TFP and changes in production and would question the validity of the instruments. So I think uh, I, I was not so, um, it was not so clear to me that, about the identification strategy in this demand shock as opposed to the TFP shocks. Um, then on the results uh, of the determinants of entry and exit, I think they are quite nice especially because you're able to s separate the effects of uh, productivity from changes in the demand. And uh, I don't know of papers that have done that before, and I think it's important results. But um, I think you could try and control for sector-specific growth in production, because in the tables you control for GDP growth, which is aggregate for the whole economy, and you have sector-specific effects but you could interact the effects with growth to look at uh, sector-specific growth, which, which could be important determinants of um, exit and entry in each sector. Um, in the previous version as well, you, the trade reforms you used the index, now you're using the tariffs. Um, so I think this is a, a, very, a big improvement because at least you have cross-sectional variation. 
But when you have cross-sectional variation, I think you should include year dummies in the regression, time dummies. When you had the, the, the index of reforms, they would only vary over time, so you wouldn't be able to include the time dummies. But now you can. And then you, it, would be, it would strengthen a lot the results if you could condition on time dummies. Um, and then, uh, starting with the, with the main results, uh, you find that trade reforms increase the probability of exit, and other reforms tend to reduce it by themselves, right? And then you have the, uh, the other results, at least in the previous version when you didn't have the tariffs. It seemed that trade reforms increased the importance of demand shocks, and other reforms increased the importance of productivity shocks. And um, the results changed a little bit, but my main point is that it's difficult to interpret the results. You get some uh, nice results and um, robust when you include the time dummies. Um, let's see what happens. But if they remain, it's, the reader sometimes gets a bit uh, confused about uh, explanations. There are some possible explanations for the results. But it would be nice to have uh, a good story. I don't think a, a whole theoretical model would be necessary, but perhaps some more robustness tests or using some other variables just to help the interpretation of the results. Um, and finally, uh, you have in the decompositions, um, you, you find that uh, the increase in productivity that took, took place over the period is mainly due to a locative effect, a location plus uh, entry and exit of firms that increase average productivity. And I think this is also really nice, nice results. But uh, it, it would be nice to have some more robustness tests and to tell a, a complete story and to convince the reader of the results. Because if they hold through, especially when you put the time dummies, and it would be nice if the results are maintained. Thank you, Marcia. So uh, we have time for some questions. Uh, two quick ones. Uh, one of the TFP estimation, I'm not quite sure how identification uh, through upstream production works. Because, so I'm not sure how you get identification through, uh, uh, through upstream uh, uh, production. So, or rather demand of upstream sectors. You use that as an instrument, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but, but this doesn't vary at the plant level. So... Uh, it varies at the structural level, yeah. And, and, but, but you estimate TFP at the plant level, so how do you get plant level variation? So that's, that's my first question. So, it's not, so presumably all plants within the same sector, right, have the right. same, uh, face the same demand, uh, upstream demand. So how do you get an instrument that varies by plant level to estimate plant level TFP? Well, we can estimate so. plant level TFP because uh, inputs change, right? At the plant okay, level. So, so then, all the okay. elasticity, yeah. So, but you have to, to use the input prices as well? Yes. Okay. And, and second, um, so this is more of a comment. Uh, so when you estimate the effect of the uh, tariff reductions, uh, one thought I had is that many of these tariff reductions operate through some of the variables that you put on the right-hand side. So it's been shown, for example, multiple times that uh, tariff reductions may contribute to productivity growth or you know, the tariff reductions may decrease the price of the inputs, and so on. So if tariff reductions operate through these channels, but you condition on these channels in the regressions, you will tend to understate the effect. So the effect could, could actually 
be the composite of all these. Uh, so it's, it's not, it's, it's a matter of how you present it, but, mm -hmm. but I think the effect is larger than what the coefficients of these regressions capture. So the um, price and factor price information in these data obviously makes everyone uh, envious of um, the quality of data you can work with. The, to relate it to prior results, uh, one worry is, of course, how does the markup change when you measure productivity, and usually not, they're not separately identified. In the prior literature, an argument was usually that if anything, tariff reductions or increased foreign trade competition would uh, cut the markups down so that, if anything, you would underestimate um, plant-level productivity change. So I was just curious by the fact that the more productive firms charge lower prices, what you can really say about the markups of these firms. Do the prices change as, uh, in proportion with the cost so that they, sorry, do the prices change in proportion with the lower marginal costs of these high TFP firms and the markups would not change or do they change more than proportional? That I think it's an important insight to relate it to the prior literature where the markup mattered so much. And the other one is similar to, to Penny's point. Um, the, if you estimate TFP first from a production function and then plug it back into the exit function, if you think about Oli Pekes' methodology, there were two major issues. One, transmission bias because you might have mismeasured capital, and two, exit is endogenous depending on productivity levels. Um, so you get the selected sample of the surviving firms, and if you estimate production on them, you basically get exit in the production function. And the whole thing is a bit um, circular now if you plug it back into the exit estimation. So I'm not sure how to think about the issue in the light of their model, but there might be something. which is slightly related to what Mark just said. Um, it seems to me that uh, one thing that m might improve the paper is a little bit more co um, consistency across the various models. So if you use um, um, certain instruments like input prices and uh, um, in the production function, which is effectively a supply uh, sort of relationship, uh, um, and, and upstream demand, then I would want to use that in the demand function. Uh, so uh, it is, you know, this is the same model, it's the same plans. So if uh, if you think that those are determinants of demand, then they should enter the demand function. Um, and the reason I say is, is related to Mark's question is because. Uh, then you have an exit equation that should also be consistent with all the rest. Uh -huh. Okay, let me answer some of the questions and I'm sure Maurice will have comments as well. Um, so on the, on the issue about uh, the data on including uh, plants with more than 10 employees, that's, that's true. We don't have the advantage that you have in the Brazilian data where you, you have firms of all sizes. Um, well, the share of small firms uh, in Colombia is probably large. The share in employment is probably not very extensive. So, but there is nothing we can really do about that, right? I, I mean, there is no information. So, exit here may include um, movement from 
right? Being a, a 10 employee firm plant to being a eight, eight employee plant. But, uh, but there isn't much we can do about that. Um, on hours, uh, I agree, but I, I agree about your point, but I think uh, it will, there will be even greater biases if we just completely ignore hours altogether. So we're doing the best we can in terms of hours. We cannot do as well as we do in terms of materials and energy, but it's, it's the best we can do. And, and omitting it altogether would generate even greater biases, so it doesn't make sense to leave it out. So again, these are issues about limitations with the data that we, can do, we cannot do much about. About using alternative methodologies, um, I agree. We have thought about using Olipakes, Levin some Petrine, using some alternative methods to estimate TFP and to, to check how those results change if we do that. And I like your idea about including kind of these wrong measures into the exit probability to see the results very substantially or not. In terms of the demand equation, I, I, I disagree with you that TFP is not a good instrument. I mean, the whole point is, is not that TFP should not be correlated with output. The point is that TFP should not be correlated with the demand shock, with the unobservable. So it is certainly positively correlated with output by construction, but uh, what, what it would require here for identification is that it's uncorrelated with the unobserved demand shocks. And, uh, so just to clarify, because TFP is constructed, it's a residual right. of, of uh, production shocks. Right. Well, one way to put, way, way, I think to understand the analysis point is I suppose that there is some measurement error in output. That there is what? Measurement error in output. Then, okay. Then you're finished. Yeah, well, it, there it, could it, be, yeah, there could be issues, so you know. I think that's, uh, that's the point. Yeah. Any, uh, right. Exactly. So I, I agree with you that that it cannot be correlated with a man shock. Or, for example, if you if you thought that that this TFP is correlated with quality, right? No, I then the point, that's but, an I issue. Mean, but, but you know, suppose there is measurement error in output, which probably is there. Right. Then what you call a demand shock could be just measurement error, at least part of it. And that will be in the TFP by so related with TFP, also measurement error in TFP. Well, yeah. TFP is output minus whatever yeah. you estimated, so it's going to be there for sure. Right. Yeah, any, any shock in the production, it's in the TFP. It's just the way you worded it. I guess I disagree okay. with that exclusion restriction, as you said, uh, as Guido pointed out. But uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with that point. It, we, we, as you said, we allow now for changes in the man elasticities over time. Uh, in terms of uh, including time dummies, that's something that we can do now and we should try. And also we could include sector-specific trends or sector-specific growth. So we, we can try those specifications. We haven't done it. Um, I, I am glad that you find the new results uh, Nice. It's much easier to interpret than the old results are doing. So, <laughs> so I'm glad to hear that. Um, in terms of so, and the issue of uh, some of the other variables being Penny's point and Mark's point and and also Horatio's. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned, but what we're using here is the lag productivity shocks, lag demand shocks. So we're using the lags. So it's, it's uh, less of a concern if you're using the lags, right? 
the fact that uh, that you may you may have that that some of these exit may also affect the the, the could be reverse causality of some sort. But um, but Penny's point was that that we may be underestimating the total effect, and I think that that is probably right. If current TFP is correlated with past TFP and so forth. The total effect. That the total so effect may be larger effect. than what we actually than what you right. present because right. Does Maurice have any additional well, comments? We also have some reservations about this um, estimation strategy. Among other things, for for a reason which was not mentioned in the discussion, which is that we have. Um, and elasticity, uh, factor elasticities, which are common across sectors. And uh, this is because of the instruments that we use, which are upstream demand and done very within sectors, only between sectors. So um, for this reason, and also because of the discussion here, that uh, there might be limitations in terms of the way we estimate TFP. So l let me say why we don't use, for example, Olipex or Levison-Petrin. It's because the monotonicity assumption that you need in that case uh, may be problematic in this con context where we think demand shocks are very important. And uh, we went for this IV estimation to some extent because we thought we were in much better shape than you normally are to the extent that we have uh, plant-level prices. But we agree that there might still be some remaining measurement error. And what we're doing now actually is to replicate all the results using the very standard uh, cost-share approach because we don't want to convey the impression that it is the IV estimation of TFP that is driving the results. Do you, do you, do you impose um, a cost return to scale? No, we don't, but we get no. it actually. So we are so what what, what yeah. is uh, slightly strange is the fact that the share of, uh, if I remember well your results, is the share of capital is actually higher than the share of labor. Um, yeah, and that's yeah. actually, yeah. An, uh, yeah. so we, we also have some reservations which we share with everyone here about the IV elasticities that we get. And so we yeah. want to do a cost, we, without imposing constant returns, we get that by and large, the factor elasticities adapt to one, so we feel comfortable about using a cost-share approach, which will also, among other things, allow for variation of the factor elasticities by sector. So with the cost-share approach, actually, the elasticity, again, the elasticity of capital is very similar and the elasticity of labor very similar to what we obtain here. And in the context of less developed countries, it's not. And in the context of Colombia, where wages are low, right, employment, is high, but wages are low, the, the labor share may be low, right? So it's not that surprising wait, 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 to wait. some extent. This, this, is, right, this would capture the labor share. This would suggest that the labor share in Colombia is, is lower should, than the capital share. This should co capture the marginal product of labor and capital. And, uh, you know, the textbook that we have been teaching to students for 50 years is at this 0 0.6, 0 0.4. Yeah, but that's, for, that's basically based on, on developed country data, right? Yeah, but... The, what, what people use there is 
So, so we don't have a benchmark for developing countries. And so you're saying that technologies are extremely different? Yeah. But overall, in, you know, in Brazil, the tax share is a third two thirds. Um, if you look at the economy as well, the income data for households. Do you, do you ignore materials and energy? No, no, but that doesn't matter. No, but no, but it doesn't matter because you can. Uh, I understand that yours is not for value added; it's for uh, for output. But uh, but you can derive the value added from 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 this. And yeah. what you had 0.3 for uh, capital and 0.2 for labor, which means that it's 60 40. In, if you if you do it in terms of value added. Just as an aside, when you presented the production function figures. I actually found the OLS really great because much of the struggle in developed countries was to get the capital share up to a third. When you run OLS, you are at a third. Capital is 0.07, labor is 0.21, just a third. So um, you were actually there in the OLS and then you turn it around in the IV. But we get very similar results using... Well, you've got to subtract energy and materials because they're not in GDP. Right. But we, we get also very similar, so this is not uh, an artifact of using the IV strategy. We get very similar results using the co-shares approach too. So, so right, it, we may be more worried about all the all these results in a typical. We well, try different strategies and maybe, with different maybe strategies. Maybe we should, uh, uh, we should stop it here. Thank you for your attention. Thank you. The preceding program was brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U and is copyrighted by the Board of Trustees of the Leland Stanford Junior University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu.